Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What's up, everybody? Welcome to a brand spanking new episode of A Yank and a Swede, a Premier League podcast with me, Sebastian Oren. You're a Swede. And Elliot Nivlock, you're Yank. So uh, we're a couple of days late here as far as talking about the Premier League and match week eight. But since we have an international break now... You know, it's okay. We got plenty of time. We got plenty of time. Plenty of time. Plenty of time. And we got some time to sort of, well, digest, process, reflect over what happened over this past weekend as there were quite a few interesting results and games that we're going to take a look at here. And we'll just kick off things saying that Brighton took a one nothing win over West Ham on Friday. Uh, good win for them, of course. West Ham still a little bit up and down. Uh, but moving over to Saturday and Manchester United taking on Newcastle. And it looked dire for <laughs> a big chunk of this game. Newcastle were up 2 nothing within the first 10 minutes after goals by Kennedy and Yoshinorimoto. And um, United... They came back, Juan Mada, Anthony Martial, and then in the 90th minute, Alexis Sanchez. And a lot have been written about Alexis leading up to this game as he's on his worst uh, sort of minutes, goals per minute uh, in his career, basically. Um, Yeah. And it was by a wide margin. I don't exactly remember the numbers, but let's say he was like... Hovering, he was under 200 minutes in at Barcelona and Arsenal, I believe. Yeah, and then it was like 600 minutes for United. Yeah, I mean, again, with the question of how he fits in this system and if he fits at all under Mourinho is still a selling one, and the degree to which Mourinho purchased him just as a like he he he, I got this player from Wenger, I hate Wenger. I think is still up for debate, um, but yeah, or or the fact that City was on the radar too. If you, yeah, they, you could have gone with Alexis, then they probably wouldn't have gotten Morris. And you know, well, all boy, that. although we'll, I mean, we'll touch on Morris. Oh, performance I would, in a bit, but I would but much, certainly much night rather, or day. <laughs> much rather have Morris so far this season. That's for sure. Really, uh, I yeah, but this oh, yeah. weekend, well, I mean, one failed to convert what should have been the winner and one improbably scored a 90th minute. Yeah. So, I mean... But if you look at the season as a whole so far, definitely I yeah. would go Morris over Sanchez. But yeah, it was, but it's but you can't... It's apples to oranges because one squad is playing like phenomenal swashbuckling football and the other squad is a Jose Mourinho squad. Yeah, so. that's, that's pretty true. And that was the case in the first half. It was very much trying to play that god-awful system again. And then second half, it was like, just go out and play, basically. It was like free reigns. They looked a lot better in the second half. It's still sad to see that it's like it 
it needed a 2 nothing deficit within 10 minutes against a winless side before this team sort of like, oh, shit, maybe we should start playing and be more expressive and just, you know, throw that god-awful system out the window, basically. Yeah, that's, that's Jose for you, but, I mean, and the... Uh... Speaking of playing wide-open attacking football, that second goal of Martial, Pogba, Martial with Pogba with the first time back heel was about as beautiful a goal as you'll ever see. Um, You know, I mean, maybe it would have been a little prettier if it had flown into the top rather than the bottom corner, but uh, first time back heel assist, that's world-class. Pogba is world-class, and I think that despite the last-ditch winner and kind of saving Jose from, uh, maybe saving his job even, you know, the the contrast of United have to keep Pogba at all costs, even if it means paying through the nose to Axe Mourinho, could never be any sharper than it was in this match. Absolutely. I totally agree with you there, and I think that, just seeing how poor they were in that first half is sort of indicative to it, how it's been this season and how Mourinho is the big problem here. Even though they came back and won, it's not because of Mourinho's system. It's not because of his man management. It's not about his... <laughs> it's not about his... Man management. Yeah, I mean, his man management is... Lack thereof. Yeah. And it's not about the substitutions he made, although, yes... Uh, Sanchez came off the bench and scored the winner, but I feel like anyone would probably make that substitution. Uh, so it's uh, Mourinho still the big problem here at the club. Well, I still believe that he should get fired. Do you think that after this performance, that firing is any more or less likely? I mean, I have n- the thing is that. The lack of faith I have in Mourinho, I also have for the United board. I don't really know what's going on in that boardroom. Woodward is getting a lot of flack, and I think that's well deserved. Uh, I don't know how invest, or, you know, how hands-on the Glaser family is, uh, and it's always tough to say from the outside. But I would hope that even that split personality two halves shows that okay, well. That first half, that's the problem. Yeah. What's at the root of that problem? Oh, it's the manager. Okay, let's remove him. It doesn't matter that we won this game. He's still the problem. I Because I have no faith in Mourinho all of a sudden just being like, okay, well, we did a very good job in the second half. Now this is how we should play all games. I, I don't think that's his mindset. No, it's it's absolutely not. And I so. think that, I mean, this is a comparison that I've drawn on this show in the past and that it's really the, the bitter rivalry between he and Wenger. There's some irony in that they both are just revolutionary managers who cling to their style when the game is passed them by. And we saw Wenger finally leave the Emirates at the end of last season after having you know, grasp that those straws that were once so full and now look meager in 2018 as opposed to, say, 2008. But Jose is doing the same thing with, the. I would argue, again, grain of salt as an Arsenal fan, 
the large caveat that while Wenger invariably commanded the respect and appreciation of his players, Jose frequently is at odds with them, certainly in the public eye, and you can only imagine also in the locker room, probably even more so than the glimpses that we get. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think Wenger still did a okay job for a while trying to sort of tweak his system to fit more of the modern game, and he did it mostly on a very sparse transfer budget too whereas Mourinho has been you know they've signed some very expensive players Paul Pogba I mean he's world class he's also you know you can't I just feel like Arsenal they had a they had a great run where they were handpicking these players fairly cheap and turned them into stars yeah and even at the at the end it didn't you know that's that's a hard thing to keep up too when you know when when those signings doesn't go all the way right, then you know results are going to suffer, really. Well, and even with a lot of the players that they identified and developed at the club to be much better than they certainly were when they arrived, you know, the, a lot of those players themselves, even though the whole the overarching philosophy was in some to some extent still working, you look at a player like Samir Nasri, for example. About speaking of personality issues, mm, yes. um, but you know he's a player who came at came into Arsenal inarguably developed into an excellent midfielder, but he's never going to be the Paul Pogba of a squad, right? He's never going to be the as useful a player as he is. He's never going to be like that centerpiece around which you build a team. And I mean, we we should probably get back to this match day as opposed to digging into the history of Arsenal over the course of the last eight years. But I think that the comparison with uh, Wenger and Mourinho still holds water. And I think that with that war chest, with players like Pogba, you've got to call the season so far an, an abject failure. And it's I understand that they probably are balking at the price tag they'll have to pay him to get him out the door. But I, I can't imagine that there are many United fans left who are saying Mourinho in. I mean, they were singing his name after the win. Well, yeah, but that, I mean, the, a late dramatic winner is a late dramatic winner. Yeah. I, I'm, I find it, I find it baffling, but you know. No, it's true. It's true. Yeah, maybe we'll do something like that next off season. We'll do do some digging in in transfers of summers past for uh, our teams. Uh, let's take a look at the top of the table. We have three teams now that are still undefeated, all of them on twenty points. So Manchester City, after that scoreless draw against Liverpool, they're still top of the table. They have a plus 18 goal differential. Chelsea moved up to second place with their 3 nothing win over Southampton. And then Liverpool in third. So Chelsea, they're plus 13, Liverpool plus 12. So, I mean, I, I know we're still early in the season, but I'm, I'm happy to see that it, no one's running away with it. Yeah, and I think that that's... You know, we something that we talked about before the season even started is that we didn't think that that was going to happen and that perhaps City being challenged might actually spur them on to greater success in the Champions League. And yeah, I mean, three teams, three undefeated teams on 20 points going into the mid-October international break. From a neutral perspective, that 
that's exactly what you want to see. And it's exactly what we've got. Yeah, and then we got two teams behind the leading trio. That's Arsenal and Spurs. They're both on 18 points. Arsenal in fine form now and took a 5-1 to one win over Fulham in their latest game. Uh, another good game for the uh, striking duo Lacazette and Aubameyang. Two goals each. And then Ramsey got on the score sheet as well. Well, I mean, and this is something that... I'm going to have to try to be humble about because <laughs> humble, humble brag. This is exactly what's about to happen. And my, you know, my footballing knowledge is extensive, but I'm no manager and I'm, you know, uh, FIFA and mm, football manager, manager, but nonetheless, when we signed Aubameyang last season, and especially by the end of the year, I was saying, We've got to go to a 4-4-2. That's the best to get out of these players. Yeah, Aubameyang can play wide, but it's not really his position. We need to play a 4-4-2. We played a 4-4-2. We scored five goals. Yep. Just just leaving that out there. And they were all, all five of them five-star goals themselves. Each and every one was beautiful. Um, you know, it wasn't any like, own goal, heavy deflection kind of nonsense. No, but I, I think that's... And that's indicative for Lacassette too. I think Lacassette works best in a two-forward system. Welbeck definitely works better in that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you don't have that sort of center tank like they had in Giroud, this is the best way to go. And I yeah. think they're doing a great job. And now they're really starting to pick things up. Yeah, you didn't keep a clean sheet, but that goal from Shirley was quite delicious. Yeah. Although, I mean, it's letting players in behind is a... Is a concern that we've had, but this this match shows, I think, the best of Arsenal and that I've also said that earlier in the season is that we're not going to keep many clean sheets. I said no clean sheets. I've been proven wrong, but I still, this is a case in point, you know. We let them, it, and it wasn't a garbage time goal. It was a well-taken goal, but we allowed an equalizer in this match, and then we turned it up and poured it on and went to run away with it, which is great, but you can't you can't say that those problems aren't there, so therefore, how do you deal with them? Well, short of signing defensive help, I think the only answer is you have to keep scoring four or five goals a game, yeah. which is certainly exciting if a bit nerve-wracking. But hey, you know what? With the current winning form that Arsenal have, it would be a little nitpicky to dwell on, oh, we allow chances. Yeah, we do. But if we can keep scoring four goals a match... It's not going to be that problematic. I mean, look at how many games City won for two last year yeah. in route That's to their right. winning a season ever. So, do you uh, do you think Leno is looking more and more comfortable now? Absolutely. I mean, I don't think he ever looked uncomfortable, to be honest. Um, I mean, I think that you, know, you still have some time to settle in with your teammates, uh, time to build up, kind of expectations and communication, especially with the two center halves of that back four. Uh, so yeah, there's still room to improve, but I mean, I think that it speaks volumes that his, uh, with Kevin Trapp injured, he got called into the German national squad this week. You know, I mean, he's, he's a player whose performance I thought was fantastic. You know, the thing is that Arsenal are still just a couple steps away from, I think, being a real title contender because they've got to be screening that goalkeeper better. I mean, in some sense, I'm happy to have him be tested right off the bat because I see that right away and I know that he you know he can handle it. 
So, but I don't want him to have to handle it. So yeah, much. but do you, do you think that they should do the sort of take a play out of Liverpool's book and just pay whatever is necessary for their own Van Dijk? Um, I yes, but and there are two buts. Yes, double but. Yes, but are Arsenal really going to be in a position to splash cash on a defender having shattered their transfer record on strikers in consecutive transfer windows last summer and last January? I'm not sure. How much are we going to get for Aaron Ramsey if and more likely now when he leaves? Is that going to be able to offset the cost of defender? I I really don't know. Probably and finally, not. but also the second but here is who? You know, who, because I don't see a defender who would be that kind of like middling level of, all right, you're world-class and Arsenal can afford to buy you and you will clearly improve us in defense. And, you know, you're astronomically priced world-class center halves that Arsenal are just going to never have a chance to sniff at. Like your Virgil van Dykes, for example. And I think I would I would probably place um, Daniele Rugani in that same in that same boat, uh, and also um, uh, Laporte, City's new signing. Yeah, boy, I would have loved to have bought him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a good one. Yeah, I mean maybe a uh, a certain Leicester City defender that Manchester United wanted, huh? 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 Yeah. That would be a, I think that would be a solid buy. I don't know if he would have as big of an effect as Van Dijk has had on Liverpool, but we'll see. As far as Ramsey goes, if you get 20 mil, you should be happy, I think. Yeah, which is frustrating because... It's better than zero. Which would better than zero. Lose, uh, during the summer. But if, he'd, if we'd sold him last summer, it would have been 35, at least. Maybe more. 40. Or maybe 45. 40, 45, depending on if you would sell him to another Premier League side or not. Yeah. So and he would do a lot of good. Okay, Manchester United. Buy Aaron Ramsey. <laughs> you can give them Fellaini and some cash. How about that? Just give us Sanchez back. And, and, then, and then all of a sudden you'll find Fellaini starting up front for Arsenal as the lone oh striker. Oh, God. No. Yep. No. Plus, I also think that we we absolutely don't need Fellaini. It appears, no, again, no. tentatively, knock on wood, but it appears that we may have finally, finally found the partner for Granite Chaka in midfield in the shape of Lucas Torreira. And again, it's still early days, right? You, know? you already have one guy with crazy hair. You don't need another one. Yeah, absolutely. Gwen Boozy's already sideshow Bob. We can't have two sideshow Bobs. That's nope. too many sides, too many shows, and too many Bobs. Yep, that's true. Spurs took a one nothing win over Cardiff. Uh, sort of a closer score than what many of us thought. Uh, Spurs with over just over 75% of possession in this game. 17 shots. Uh, or 19 shot attempt, seven on target. And um, yeah, Eric Dyer scored lone goal in the eighth minute. Cardiff went down 10 men in the 58 minute as uh, Joey Rouse got sent off. But like we've said with Liverpool, a win is a win. You take those three points, you move on, really. Uh, one interesting result was Bournemouth taking a 4 nothing win over Watford. Uh, Christian Cabasele managed to get himself sent off in the 32nd minute. Uh, we got goals by David Brooks, 
Joshua King scored twice, and Callum Wilson also got on the score sheet. So big, big win for Bournemouth, and I feel like the Watford hype has totally died out after three losses and one draw in their last four games. Oh, yeah. I mean, and this was – they were they were morally and essentially beaten with the standing off penalty double whammy, and then, you know, it was just gravy on top of that afterwards. No, that's very true. Yep. Everton took a 2-1 to win over Leicester. Richard Lisson and Gilfie Sigurdsson. I think it was Sigurdsson's 50th Premier League goal, I want to say. thought I read that somewhere. Well, good on him either way. <laughs> I mean, that's a player who did not come up to normal standard last season. They need a lot more from him. No, yeah, they absolutely do. And I think that... I, I wonder, though... I don't, I don't know. I think that we can still see a lot from him, but he has the ability, even when he's not in his best form, to change a game from a set piece. So that's, that's still, I think the threat that he poses on that level is enough to keep him in most Premier League sides, Everton included. Yeah. Uh, Wolves took a one nothing win on the road against Crystal Palace. Matt Doherty with the lone goal in that one. So Wolves, um, you know, sneaky good. Seventh place, 15 points. Four wins in the last five games. Uh, not your not your normal newcomer. We've said that before, and that's still yeah. still, I mean, they're, still true. They're two points over Manu at the moment, so it's yeah. not yeah. something to sneeze at. <sighs> nope. Uh, Burnley, Huddersfield ended in a 1-1 draw, so we still have three teams without a win after eight games. Yeah, it does give a nice kind of like symmetrical shape to the table, though, right? The three undefeated teams all on 20 points at the top, and then the three winless teams languishing in the relegation zone at the bottom. Yep, Cardiff and Newcastle sit on two points, Huddersfield three points. Uh, I, I do feel like we should start seeing more from Fulham, though. They're, they only have two draws in their last five games, a couple with three defeats. Uh, Southampton, which I thought coming into the season that they were going to struggle. They are 16th place, also five points. 3 nothing loss at home to Chelsea. They didn't really have much to say in that game. Uh, goals by Hazard, Barkley, and Morata. Um, Hazard, also sort of interesting there, talking a little bit about his, you know, dream that one day playing for Real Madrid, and that was his goal growing up how far off do you think we are seeing him in the uh the white shirt uh it it remains to be seen i mean i i would have thought honestly that it would be closer at hand but chelsea or you can't you can't say that they're ruled out of the title race by any means when they're on the same number of points and granted of course you know city have a substantial five goal gap in the goal difference tiebreaker, but nonetheless, they're they're right in the mix of it in terms of talking about title contenders in the most competitive league in the world. But on the other hand, from his perspective, you know, personally, Eden Hazard, that you know, when is he going to make that move? I he's in his late twenties. He'll be twenty eight in January. I think. 
if you're Eden Hazard, you make that move in the summer. Yep. You know, unless because the 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 wheels would have to totally come off for Chelsea to be struggling enough to want to push that through in January. Oh no, that I don't see that happening. You know, but yeah, next, was, next summer I can definitely see it happening. Uh, right and now, and I think that's yeah. that's also the the right time for him to do it. Right, you know, you're 28, you're you're still you have at least three to four years left of your absolute prime, and then two to three years of maybe losing half a step, but still nonetheless regard like absolutely world-class after that that's enough potential to you know lure a giant like real madrid to splash the cash on you so i think i think that next summer is if i am Eden hazard that's the time to do it Espe- especially if they mount a title challenge you know and he's and he's kind of sowing those seeds right no, absolutely, so, absolutely. Uh, Hazard right now, top of the scoring race with seven goals. Aguero and Kane and Mitrovic uh, split for second place with five goals each. And let's not forget old man Murray. Glenn Murray also on five goals. <laughs> so, uh, oh. yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how long he can keep that up. Because that's, that's a uh, pretty, pretty hefty... Uh, what that would be, let's see, almost an average of around 20 goals for the whole season. I don't see Glenn Murray scoring 20 goals. No, but that would be pretty amazing. That would be um, amazing. I mean, I wouldn't have... Do we have a 35-year-old 20-goal scorer oh, in we would Premier have, League history? We would have to go... That's something we'll check for next week. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, if any, I would... I mean... I can't imagine so, because I would have guessed it would be Van Nistelrooy, but he he didn't. No, he wasn't. He wasn't that old. No, when he left. Uh, well, we'll take a look at it. We'll we can check out some of the older top goal scorers here in the Premier League era. So, um, but overall, I think it was a very good uh, weekend of games. Um, I think we yeah we did touch upon everything. Maybe we should talk a little bit more about that Liverpool Man City game though before we move on. Oh to yeah, the, yeah we've got to we've got to throw team. the the necessary shade on Riyad Mahrez yep. because he he really did not cover himself in glory. And I don't know if you saw the um, the replays of it afterwards, but in the the build up to the penalty. Gabriel Jesus very clearly wants to take it, and Mahrez insists, no, I'm taking this. And he he kind of, his body language, he kind of half rolls his eyes and shrugs, and like, okay, whatever. Um, and boy, you know, his his face at the end of the game, you could tell that he was upset about that. And I think rightfully so. I mean, really, Liverpool got let off the hook. It was a, a good, it was a better game than the nil-nil result would lead you to suggest. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's one of those instances in which two really great sides ended up kind of canceling each other out rather than romping to goal fests each in their own right. Yeah. I mean, how, how do you feel when we get sort of, because maybe Gabriel and Riyad are the spoken penalty kick takers. And then they no, I'm you're I'm if you're I think I think if you Sergio Aguero is on that pitch, he takes that spot kick a hundred percent. I think that Gabriel Jesus, maybe even as soon as a week from now, having experienced this, certainly later on in his career, 
right? When, you know, because Mares is very much, despite having just been signed at City, you know, in terms of his Premier League experience, is very much Jesus' senior. Yeah. You know, Jesus is only 21, but you've got to step up and take responsibility for that and say, no, this is like, this is mine. I am the striker. I'm taking this kick. And I think that maybe a few more years on him, he would do that. But again, I don't know. Like, we're not in the locker room. We don't know what Pep says about penalties. But I'm sure that after this, Mares will not be the first choice penalty taker. No. And I mean, really, I wouldn't mind if they took a book out of hockey where it's the player that got fouled. Well, he takes the penalty. If it's yeah. a, If it's a weird thing that maybe it's a handball or something, well, okay, then it's the whoever kicked the ball onto the hand. That, that, would, little... that would just take away a lot of that drama, and it would also, would make it, yeah, it it would would make also some... keep players like <coughs> Hurricane um, from <laughs> inflating his goal-scoring numbers. Uh, hey, I, was, I, I bet on him to win that golden boot. Yeah. James, Mil- sure James Miller That's would never score a, goal, score a goal. Uh, yeah, I mean, and I've, the other thing because I mean, really, I'm just—it's just envy. Harry Kane, yeah. very good at penalty kicks. I know Milner, amazing at penalties. Yeah. So. Well, and here's the another thing about that though is that your proposed rule would also make it really interesting from the standpoint of say you have a wing back charging into the box and puts a cross in that hits an arm and is awarded a penalty, and then you have. Hector Bellerin or yep. Kyle Walker stepping up to the spot, and that yep. you know that's kind of interesting too. Yeah, let's let's do it. I'm all for it. I'm all for it until Fellini steps forward. Through <laughs> <laughs> so many things in life, yeah. Sure. Then it's like, oh no. Yep. Uh, so with that interesting Premier League match week eight behind us, let's uh, take a little bit of a look at the uh, national teams here for the United States. Let's kick things off with the women as they are playing the CONCACAF Women's Championship, and they play Trinidad and Tobago in their next game, which is the day we're recording this Wednesday. They have two straight wins so far uh, against Panama and Mexico. What wins they were. I mean, first with both Megan Rapinoe and Alex Morgan getting braces in a 6-0 route of rivals Mexico, and then after that, a Carly Lloyd hat trick, nearly a first half hat trick, not quite. She got her third in the 48th minute, and then they coasted out the pretty much the entire second half of this game with already a five goal lead on 49 minutes. Uh, I, I mean, they're they're playing phenomenally well, and I think that this is a team that you would I mean, you expect them to be winning these games, right? They're the not merely the big dog in CONCACAF, but by far the, you know, the top-ranked team in the world. Uh, but they're doing exactly what you want to see them do, right? And I think especially after, it's easy to forget because of, you know, we've had lots of other major tournaments, many goings on in world football since then, but the last major tournament that the United States played in, they crashed out shockingly in the Olympics to Sweden. And... I mean, this is this is a team that, on the one hand, they're the winningest in history. So, 
they're you know they they have that which nobody can take from them but it's still a team that has a lot to prove and despite the you know the familiar names like of course Carly Lloyd and Megan Rapinoe and Alex Morgan and even the perhaps slightly less familiar but you know previous cycle names like Mallory Pugh I mean this is a, a a team that has been changed significantly from the one that won the World Cup in Vancouver three and a half years ago. So I'm excited to see what they do moving forward. I'm also glad to see through their first two games, they had two, five, if not six star performances. And you've really got to expect them to kind of roll throughout this entire tournament and lift the trophy without too much competition. But again, we also expected that they would handle Sweden in the Olympics following their championship performance the previous season, and they failed to do so. I don't think that there's a team in this tournament that is as talented as that Swedish women's team was. But, you know, can't, I mean, Canada had two similarly phenomenal performances. So while we want to raise up the United States, can't let's not forget that Canada scored 14 goals in their first two games. Yeah, you know? so Canada at the top of the other group. Uh, also two wins uh, then you got which, Costa Rica Jamaica and then Cuba which they're negative 20 in goal differential yeah, see that, that's, the, that's that, the asterisk is that while the US split their 11 goals 5 to 6 and the second game in which they quote unquote only scored 5 they were all, they'd already secured the win by halftime and added on a little icing in the 48th minute Canada just romped to a 12-0 win over Cuba. And, ugh, boy, Cuba. Sorry. Yeah, we'll see what the women can do when they take on Trinidad and Tobago. Maybe they can put 14 on them. Uh, on the men's side, the U.S. men's national team, they take on Colombia in a friendly on Thursday. Uh, pretty solid opposition, I would say, in Colombia. Oh, definitely. I mean, this is a deep enough team that... Even if they don't bring their absolute, you know, A game to Raymond James Stadium, then they're still going to be a formidable side. Um, so, yeah, I, if we take, take a, we can do some name dropping here for Colombia. So they got David Espina, we all know him. Uh, who else is uh, Santiago Arias from Atletico Madrid is there? Jason Murillo, uh, Damison Sanchez for from Spurs. Uh, Juan Cuadrado, Juventus, James, Rodriguez, and then, of course, Radamel Falcao, and then Carlos Baca. We shouldn't forget about Carlos Baca. <laughs> Boy, that was such a, a, like, kind of peter off into Baca after your your glorious Radamel Falcao. Radamel Falcao. <laughs> yeah, I wish he did better when he was at United. I really yeah. do. I, or I, we should... Yeah, I, I don't really, I I don't have a ton of sympathy for Ramel Falcao, but you know, I don't necessarily wish him ill either. But we should also turn to look at the U.S. squad. Yes. Uh, I think probably the biggest headline, of course, being um, a torn muscle for Christian Pulisic, keeping him out of the squad, which is of course disappointing for a lot of fans of the U.S. Um, and then the inclusion of Michael Bradley. Inclusion of Michael Bradley. Indeed. Uh, and I think that a lot of people are wondering why he's in this squad. Um, uh, I am one of those people. <laughs> are you? Okay. Yes. Why? 
Well, say more about that. Say why? About well, that. why is he in the squad? This, this is not a player. We've talked about this before. This is not a player that should be in the future for the men's national team. Same goes with our old friend Josie Altidore. Yes. No. Absolutely. I know I mean, Altidore is younger. He's like sneaky young. Yeah, he's he's a, a but, weird ageless. Uh, but Bradley chunk is of muscle. Bradley's turning thirty-two next summer. He's already slowed down. You can see that. And it's funny to sort of watch the threads on different forums like Facebook or Twitter. Uh, some people still love Bradley. Some people are wondering what the hell he's doing in the squad. And I, I've seen some people actually make sort of a more you know thought out response as far as you know well ever since he came back to the mls he hasn't really had to fight for his place and that has hampered him with the national team yeah absolutely um i think the so um I am in the camp in which, you know, you drew that distinction. Like, some people still love him. Some people wonder why he's in the squad. I kind of want to have my cake on cake here and eat it, too, because I think, God, not that the U.S. quality is cake on cake by any means, but I I still love Michael Bradley. You know, I he's a player that has had an important role for the U.S. men's national team for many years. I still think back fondly on, albeit a meaningless friendly his beautiful strike against scotland of several years ago but yeah he is a player who hasn't had to compete for his squad place and so i think that there is some argument where you say okay but you want the senior players to be part of the national team to like mentor the young guys even if they're probably not going to have a place in the competitive tournaments in the future which is true of bradley but i gotta flip that on its head and question what does a player like Michael Bradley, having had you know a brief moment in the Roma Sun, then moving back to again his cushy position in MLS, in which his position is not really under any threat at the club that he plays for? Like, what does he have to truly tell players like a Cameron Carter Vickers, who has been fighting for a place in some of the biggest clubs and is competing, you know, not in the Premier League but in the Championship? Or a John Brooks who's playing for Wolfsburg. Or a Matt Miazga who is part of the Chelsea organization and is still plying his trade in knots. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, even even Ethan Horvath, right, playing for Bruges in Belgium. It, the, like, these are players who are, and I know that there's the, the uh, piece of jargon that MLS fans like to throw around is quote-unquote Euro snob, right? Like, oh, well, they just think that MLS is such garbage and can never be as good as these leagues like well okay that's that's not that's not i mean we've had this discussion too but that's not what you should be aiming for you should be i mean first and foremost if anything the mls should take a look a little bit down south and try to compete with mexican with the mexican what's it called mx liga yeah that's you should be your goal you shouldn't be looking at europe at all well and here's the thing is that the very quietly the u.s continue the u.s i shouldn't say because of course their teams like for example bradley's club toronto fc mls is struggling mightily usually in the Concacaf champions league and it's a little tricky to use that as a metric just because of the way the season breaks down right you know you 
you win a championship and then you play essentially another entire MLS season yeah. and then you start in the Champions League. Yes. You know, it's a, no, it's weird. And then the whole thing with the salary cap and all that stuff that you don't have in other countries is also a very, you know, unique problem for the MLS. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I don't think it's one that is uh, totally insurmountable. Um, but I, but I, I want to kind of pull back again yes. here to the CONCACAF Champions League just because, you know, it's it's hard to say... Again, like that the, that comparison that you're suggesting we draw, which I think is a good point, between the MLS and Liga MX. The last decade, every winner of the CONCACAF Champions League has been from Liga MX. Granted, there have been, you know, the MLS teams have made it to the final, but they've only even made it to the final three times. Otherwise, every other year, the CONCACAF Champions League final has been contested between two Liga MX clubs. And you look at that, and because it's a lower-profile league, and because, as I said before, there's kind of this wonky little situation where, okay, well, the team that's competing isn't really the same team that won the league the previous year or whatever. But regardless of that, I think you have to look at when the teams sit down to play each other and what happens on that pitch. And this this is dominance the likes of which is unheard of in... You know, the European Champions League, for example. And the only thing that would even come close to it would be kind of the the period in which Real Madrid and Barcelona were so clearly head and tail or like heads above everyone else. But you look at that, I mean you look at ten years consecutively of Mexican champions, yeah, I think that's totally to your point that MLS needs to start measuring itself on the pitch against international clubs before we can even have a conversation about Okay, well, let's talk about the Bundesliga or Ligue 1 yep. or, you know, another level entirely in the Premier League. Yep. It's just it's not even close. No. Let's get back to the squad selection. Brad Guzan is in too. I I mean, really at this point whatever. I I, I feel like Ethan Horvat and Zach Steffen should you know, especially Ethan Horvat, I think there's something in him. Uh, he's still young for a goalkeeper, 23 years old. Yeah. So that's just give it time. If they want to go with Guzan for now, yeah, go have fun. Uh, we have four uncapped players in the squad. Uh, three of them defenders in Reggie Cannon from FC Dallas and then Aaron Long from New York Red Bulls and Ben Sweat or Sweet from mm-hmm. New York City FC. And then the name that I'm sort of most excited about uh, Jonathan Ammon, a midfielder, 19 years old, from Nordsjælland in Denmark. Oh, yeah? What makes you so excited about him? Well, I think it's sort of a cool story. So, played at the U.S. Uh, Soccer Development Academy in South Carolina. Uh, went on, you know, some camp in Denmark. Uh, got an invitation uh, and managed to, you know, play his way into a contract there. Made... 10 appearances for Nordsjælland in uh, the Superliga last season, scored two two goals, has two goals in six games so far this season. And I think it's it's just sort of cool when you don't see, when you see you as players sort of take that alternative route that doesn't include college. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, it's a little bit more risky. You don't get that education and whatnot. But at the same time, I sometimes feel like college sports 
and this goes for hockey too, is that when they get out of college, if they stay all four years, you're already 22, 23 years old in some cases. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, and it's it's just a different, when you, when you compare it to American football, for example, you're physically not ready to play in the NFL until you are at least 22 years old. Ooh, put, it, put in an 18-year-old in the NFL, please. Oh, God, no, please don't. I mean, it's horrible. and Yeah, well, it's, it's horrible enough for the human body, even if you're a fully grown man. Yep. So, But, of course, the, the same does not hold true with soccer when you have players making the breakthrough at, you know, 18, 19, sometimes, rarely, but with true talents as early as 16 or 17. So it just... It's not a trajectory that tracks. Or twelve, uh, if you're Freddie Adu. Or still without a clock. What was it? What was he? Fourteen. Yeah, I think he was fourteen. That's crazy, crazy. Although he was probably built like a twenty-two-year-old at fourteen. It's possible. Yep. Uh, we should also say that Tyler Adams withdrew from the U.S. men's national team, having scored an excellent and very important goal against Mexico during the last set of friendlies. Um, He had back spasms, uh, kept him out of the last Red Bulls match, and so it's you know kind of unfortunate to see him uh, miss out, having just kind of really announced himself to those who don't follow the MLS. Yep. But uh, we wish him, along with Pulisic, uh, recovery, and I think that his place in this U.S. men's national team moving forward is well cemented. You know, he's not going to. Uh, I mean, I hope that players play well enough to challenge him for that spot this week, but I think that he is a part of this squad for many years to come yeah. without a doubt. And I think there's a fairly good mix here of players playing in the MLS and uh, in Europe. Yeah, I would say so as well. Um, so some interesting players, of course, like Timothy Villa. Uh, so I, I do feel like we should be optimistic about the future i really do yeah i I don't i don't think it's just going to be pulisic no i i don't think so either and another player um who i rate very highly who's also not in the squad due to injury is weston mckinney you know Mm -hmm. and I i think that moving forward speaking of those especially those three players right the tyler adams weston mckinney christian pulisic And um, Tim Way. Did I say three? I meant four. I can't count, guys. I'm, That's okay. I'm in the humanities. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just I just looked up Weston McKinney's first club, and when he was a boy, he played for Phoenix Otterbach. That's a great name. I'm wondering if Phoenix is German for Phoenix. I would assume so. How's it spelled? P H E the O with the two dots over it. N I X Phoenix. That's oh, with an umlaut. That is that is amazing, amazing yeah. stuff. No, but I, and that's the thing. I you know and got some games. He got what twenty two games in the Bundesliga last season. I I I thoroughly believe that the the way for the younger it's not going to be for everyone, but I think most of them would benefit going to Europe at an earlier stage instead of playing college. And I know that sucks because. A lot of people love college sports. I myself yeah. love my uh, my ASU when they play college football and basketball. Unfortunately, they don't have a men's soccer team, but the women they're pretty good. Um, but I just for soccer for men's soccer, college might not be your best bet. 
Well, and I want to let me draw a parallel with England here, you know, um, because I think that what something that you're seeing increasingly frequently is English players who are, you know, kind of on the cusp of that level. Like maybe they got a youth contract somewhere and they didn't really pan out and they're looking for another youth contract and struggling to find one or they would have to move, you know, uh, the other side of the country and they don't necessarily want to. But that increasingly, you see players like that applying to and receiving scholarships to play competitively at Division One colleges in the United States. Yes. And I think that's great. I think that's yes. great. But I also think that you have to kind of turn that on its head when talking about the U.S. men's national team, right? Because if this is, if we think about the the top flight, the division, which is say Division One in the NCAA, if you think about that as a league, and the players who are real work struggling to make the cut in England, coming here and playing, I think it's great. You know, if you're not going to make it as a professional, or you know, you're you're at a point when you're struggling to make it as a professional, hey, go get a free education. You know improve your cv regardless of sports and you know maybe make the move to an mls club or even a usl club or go back home to england and you know be a semi-pro and play in the fourth tier well like whatever i think that that's a great thing but at the same time when we're talking about the next big stars for our national team like a jordan morris for example you don't want them playing in that league because you want it to be the same as you're Harry Kane's, right? Your yep. products of academies at the very highest level in England are going straight into playing in those top teams, and they're circumventing that. So if you, I think it's just kind of a red herring when you say, oh, well, NCAA players can be just as good. Like, Well, if they are just as good, then they should be playing in a different league because as the, the rest of the world sees the NCAA, it is nowhere near where a truly talented world-class potential player should be playing when they're 18 years old. No, absolutely. And I do agree with you there that if you're some, let's say you're from England or you're from Africa or whatever, you can get a scholarship. Yeah. You can't, you know, at 18, 19, you can't really make it as a pro then. Yeah. That's a great, great route to go. So with that, we're going to sign off here for today. As always, you can follow us on one Yank, one Swede. And I'm at Seb Norin, Elliot as Keat was better. Until next time, have a good one. Bye-bye. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.